you wonder why we have problems. You look at who is designing the spaces for the projects for these communities, and they don't understand what they're designing for. They don't understand the problems. They don't understand the solutions, and we've got to make change. Welcome to this episode of Space to Build, the podcast that celebrates the voices of hardworking women in construction. In each episode, we discuss a career in construction and explore the skills needed to build holistic success sooner rather than later as an emerging construction professional. Hey, it's Catherine, your host. I started Space to Build in January of 2020 while I was a superintendent for a general contractor. For years, I craved community and a means to connect with women who felt isolated in the industry. Since November of 2020, our stories have been shared in over two 200 cities across the globe. These experiences have brought new ideas to the table for both women and men in the industry. Now, two years later, I have stepped back from my role in operations and worked full-time to bring these stories to you. Today, we're chatting with Hanmei Chang. She is a project manager with Hoffman Construction and a secretary over at Noma PDX. We will uncover the story behind her architecture licensure and how she leverages it as a construction project manager. We also discuss how she encourages the next generation to enter architecture. I hope this episode encourages someone and maybe even you to start a similar program with more construction elements. If you're excited about this idea and just wanna throw out some ideas with somebody, please reach out, I'm already on board. I think it's an incredible opportunity to give back to communities and promote construction. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think so many people outside of our industry or actually even in it, don't understand the depth and the opportunity that we have. So many don't aspire for a career in construction because society doesn't paint it in a positive light. Creating programs that encourage the next generation to get inquisitive about the built environment will shift our workforce for the better. We're like a best kept secret, but we can't keep it hidden for much longer. But before I get too comfortable on my soapbox, let's just start the show. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So to get us started, do you mind telling us who Hanme is as a human being? Yeah. So I'm a mother. I am a wife, but I also really enjoy being um, on the construction site and being involved in construction. And for fun, I enjoy being outside, enjoying the Pacific Northwest, and I'm an avid crafter and quilter of things. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. So for starters, I mean, you obviously talk about being involved in the construction industry, but you kind of started out in architecture. So what brought you into the architecture? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the defiant Hanmei at 17 years old knew that she wanted to get into construction and architecture, but also I didn't want to be my dad. And my dad is, to give you a little context, is a, a mechanical engineer that did a lot of construction and home building when I was a kid. So I've always been exposed to that side of things. So I wanted to get away from my hometown and try something new. So I looked on the West Coast at what was available and architecture programs kind of spoke to me. So that's how I landed into architecture. Okay. So I feel like the joke's on you a little bit there. Now you're <laughs> in construction. So tell yeah. us a little bit more about your experience in the architecture world and how that led to your transition into construction. Yep. So joke is on me. It turns out I am just like my dad. <laughs> 
And, you know, I really enjoyed architecture school. I enjoyed the process, the people, the environment, but I really wanted to be where the action happened. And I really wanted to be part of the building process. So a few years after working as an architect in my internship stages, I moved over to construction and I really just appreciated that the sky was the limit. I could take on as much as I wanted. And I really loved and thrived as a project engineer working on a commercial construction site and being part of that action. So what I find really interesting is the fact that you went ahead and got your license, but I believe if I remember correctly that you got it after entering that construction side of things. So why did you continue to pursue your licensure? You know, for me, it was something that is a life goal and I still wanted to prove it to myself that I could be an architect if I wanted to. And so for me, it was important to achieve that and have licensure. But also now as I get older, it's been a great platform for me to stay involved in the architecture side of things and really use and leverage my license in non-professional ways. So this, this is more in the environment of memberships and the AIA and being involved uh, on a different platform of advocacy. Very cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your current role in construction. Give us an idea of what your day-to-day looks like, your favorite parts of the jobs, things of that nature. Yeah, historically, I've really been a project manager for the last 10 plus years. But my favorite part of my day is when I get to visit the job site or job sites and meet with the craft workers, meet with the teams, make sure that, you know, the way I had envisioned the project to go from a buyout perspective and construction schedules and phasing that it's that it's going well. And then, you know, really trying to help problem solve and be flexible and dynamic to keep everything moving along. There's never a dull moment. Every day is different. And I think that's really, truly where my strengths and passions lie and what keeps me going on the daily. I love it. I can also definitely relate. I love just being on the job site. I will take any excuse to set foot on dirt or concrete. So Mm -hmm. you kind of, you've alluded to it a little bit. Where and how do you use your architecture license to help promote the industry? Yeah, so being licensed has helped me be able to participate at a higher level with the AIA in particular, but also the Architectural Foundation here in Oregon. So by being licensed, you know, and being in construction, that's not a common combination. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that my peers and my colleagues in construction aren't necessarily able to do, but it's also a passion of mine. It's really a passion of mine to make sure that there are more people like myself on the construction job site, not just in a trades and craft perspective, but also in management and higher leadership positions. And what I've discovered over time is that to be able to do that and increase, you know, visibility and diversity, it's it's really getting more people excited about architecture and construction, knowing that that's an industry that you can, you know, make a livable wage at. And so that's where I've kind of just spiraled into this advocacy role for diversity, equity, inclusion, but at a school age perspective, not primarily at a professional stage. Wow, that makes sense. Before we dive into the advocacy and the guidance side, I'm kind of curious about that mixed role of construction and architecture. Having both of those backgrounds, how do you see them directly impacting your day to day? 
Yeah, when I was younger and just starting out in construction as a project engineer, I really honestly felt like I had a leg up because I knew how a plan set went together. I knew what civil drawings needed to be there and where to look for the hardware schedule or the door schedule and, you know, all those fine details that you spend in your internship and experience as an architect. So for my colleagues that were graduating with a construction management degree or civil engineering or other engineering degrees, they might they might have been able to read maybe one aspect of the drawings, but they really were a little bit foreign with specifications and architectural, you know, details and thinking three-dimensionally. So that really helped me just speak the language and be able to look ahead and find collisions and clashes that we now find more so in the 3D realm and BIM. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, as I get further into my career, I still can really relate to the architects and the designers and have those conversations of, you know, what vision do you have for this building? What are the important pieces that we want to maintain? What are the parts that you don't care about where we might be able to find some savings or efficiencies or, you know, find an easier way to build, but what truly is the design elements or design you know, aspects that we want to maintain? And so building that relationship, being able to speak the lingo, I do feel it has served me very well through my career. I think that's such a good way to look at it and approaching them with, you know, what is important to you to maintain and where do you have some flexibility so that when you hit those inevitable issues that come up on site, yeah. you know already that you can make, you have more say on what happens in this particular area if it's an area of the architect doesn't have as strong of a passion for. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like... And there's always aspects too, where it's like, there's no tolerance. How are we supposed to build this? Or can we get some tolerance here so we can actually build this, you know, vision that you have? So it's being able to just have those great, you know, conversations and collaborations that is, is just, it's just fun. It sounds like it. I'm like, man, if I was still in operations, I would definitely take that approach. So <laughs> yeah. do you use your background in architecture when you're mentoring your team or you're helping to explain something to them? Like, you, what do you do differently in that process that you don't think other mentors in construction do? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think um, a lot of my colleagues, including myself, are builders. We just think that way. A lot of us are very type A personalities, coincidentally, <laughs> and we're just driven, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then to also be able to have, like, to back it out, not be so prescriptive or controlling, you know, we really need to be flexible. And that is something that is really a crucial aspect of architecture school and being flexible and being creative and thinking on your feet and asking all these questions. Just because you've done something that way for 30 years, do we still need to do it that way or is technology able to help us change? So just thinking outside the box and having that aspect of thinking, I think helps the team see that, Mm -hmm. you know, we can be flexible. We can still overcome this. Nothing's going to really is catastrophic or earth shattering. Like we just carry on, stay focused and keep going. Love that. I think that definitely translates down to what we can teach the incoming generations for the architecture and construction industry. So on that front, do you mind telling us a little bit more about the inspiration for providing the advocacy and the guidance for students in Oregon? Yeah, so about five, six years ago, and I was serving as the chapter president for AIA 
Portland, I had the opportunity to hear Michelle Obama speak, and the AIA was celebrating at the time the 50th anniversary of Whitney Young and Whitney Young's speech to the AIA convention back in 1968. And funny enough, that was also held in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And I really had no idea that he had been to Portland, that he had given this speech, that it had launched this call to action. And so that really got me thinking. And I read his speech over and over. And and what really rang true to me was we haven't really changed that much in the 50 years. And so we've got to start making change and we've got to just get things to move forward. And then also at that same time, I realized that we only had four African-American or, or identify as Black architects in the state of Oregon, which is just not a good number. It's something to celebrate, but not something to really celebrate all at the same time. So then we started digging in and trying to understand why we only have four. How do we get more? How do we make it a place that would attract people to come to Oregon and stay? And so that really launched us into this next piece of advocacy and highlighting and celebrating architecture with the younger generations. Okay. So do you mind sharing a little bit more about who Whitney Young is. Yeah, so Whitney Young is a prominent person from the Martin Luther King era. He served for the Urban League and really, really was make, trying to make change alongside Martin Luther King and that time where, as a country, we were we were conflicted, a lot like we are now. But really what he was pointing out and what he was advocating for to Oregon and nationally was that, like, you wonder why we have problems. You look at who is designing the spaces for the projects and for these communities, and, and they don't understand what they're designing for. They don't understand the problems. They don't understand the solutions, and we've got to make change. We need people from the local communities to be designing for the communities. We don't need somebody from New York designing a space in, in Portland and, and vice versa. He really just called people out in a professional way, and so he was a prominent person that helped helped open the doors and provide that awareness and really launched AIA at that time to try to start making change. And from there, we have the National Organization of Minority Architects that was started because they needed a place to to have their own people and their like visibility. And so it's just been, it's been slow and steady. I won't say it's been great, but he was really, Whitney Young was a catalyst for our industry in starting to make change. Tell me about this program. What is it called? and who can participate in it. Yeah, so what we found when we started to dig in locally and at the at the state level of where we have programs that that involve STEAM or STEM with students, we had programs that served elementary age students and we had programs that served high school students. We did have a program that was really touching the middle school group. With the new chapter of NOMA PDX, we were able to link up with nationals and provide this program called Project Pipeline. So really what the program is to connect kids at the middle school and sometimes high school levels with architecture and show them that architecture can be something that they can do and get to the communities that are underserved historically have been told, no, you can't be an architect and show them that you can. Show them all these people that work and live in Portland and practice architecture who are BIPOC and just get them excited. We just actually had our camp last week, last Friday and Saturday, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. Tell me more about the camp. What did you guys do? Yeah, so at the camp, the first day, we challenged the students and say, if there is one thing in your neighborhood that you could change, what would it be? And then we get them thinking and we show them 
them a bunch of imagery of projects across the country, across the nation, across the world, and start to talk about why they use certain materials where they do different elements and aspects. And then we also showcase BIPOC architects that are internationally known in their projects. And we start getting them thinking about placemaking and size and scale and materials. And then we challenge them to work together and select a site that is near the location of the camp so we can go visit it. And we had local community members, including planners, the school principal and where we held the camp and other BIPOC individuals come and talk to them about community, what it means, what the neighborhood needs. And then we get to start programming and designing. And the second day, they're just thinking they've got big ideas and we get to making. So the second day we made models and we got to tweak the models and the kids were the architects and the mentors, the adults were the worker bees. And so they would tell us what to do. They would tell us what they were creating, what they needed, and we would cut things, glue things, and they got to direct us. And it was really fun. I think my favorite quote from last week was a 12-year-old student that said, I felt like I didn't do anything. I just was the architect and I was just telling people what to do. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just a lot of fun. Sounds so cute. And I can tell how passionate you are for this. I've got your face in front of me right here on the video and you just lit up talking about it. I think that it all sounds so much fun. So what project did they take on? So there's a community just east of downtown called Park Rose. And in the late 60s, it was kind of like the wealthy suburb, but it's landlocked by some major freeways and interstates. And over the years, people kind of just moved out of the area. It's a food island, so there's no local grocery store. So it's kind of just not been well serviced for the last 20 years. And so the main street that kind of bisects the city or the neighborhood from what is it, east to west is 122nd Avenue. We were at Park Rose High School. It's the Park Rose neighborhood. So the students had mega sites that they were broken down into groups of three on, and they were kind of given a blank slate, like this is farmland, this is where some fast food restaurants are. Within these blocks, what would you do? And they they were great. They thought about scale. They thought about how to slow the street traffic down. They thought about community gardening and homes for the farmers and what would kids want what versus what their parents might want. So we had you know, students designing a stage where the rock band would be. And then we had a petting zoo because that's what the kids would want. It was just a lot of fun. And then one of them also was like, I want to keep Wendy's because I like Wendy's, but we also need a library. So he created a three-story building. He called it Wendy's 3.0 and put the library on top with the best views. And then there was still a drive through element downstairs. Oh my God, that's ingenious. I would go. <laughs> So how much prompting do you have to do? Or is this purely their creativity just comes out in like these rapid surges that they're just filled with all this idea? They are so intuitive. You know, they might not know it at the start, but they, they know what they want, right? Like you just kind of start to ask the questions like, well, if there's already sprinklers on the site, they probably already have water. What else do they need? And then they'll be like, oh. We need electricity. And oh, we could do, what are those things called? Solar panels. And then it's like, okay, great. Well, what about where, which way does the sun go? We talk about rising and, you know, setting of the sun and shadows. And you just start to like 
get them thinking and then they just keep going. They don't think they know it, but you're like, no, you really do. So just, you know, those little leading questions gets them going and gets them thinking. And we try not to tell them, right? We're just trying to get them to, to do it at their own pace and understand architecture from their lived experience. And it varies greatly. But when they start talking to each other and start collaborating and sharing that they have different experiences and different families and communities, it's just it's just magic to get them to to come out and be confident and be in charge. Very cool. So are you guys able to track any metrics on the impact of Project Pipeline? This was our first year in person, but we do track the students that register. We keep in touch with their families outside of the camp. And we're working with the Park Rose School District, both at the middle school and high school level to start really you know, tracking these students. Our long-term goals are to find those kids that are interested that got sparked from Project Pipeline Camp and keep Keep in touch with them to make sure that they are supported, they know where to go, what to do through high school, connect the dots for them as other programs that are available to keep them in touch with architecture and construction and the trades. And then at the higher level, when they go to either trade school or college, we're looking out for them. We're helping provide opportunities for scholarships, provide opportunities for job shadows and internships so that they have this continuous support throughout their career, starting as a student and really getting a good foundation, getting a good resume and portfolio. So I'm just excited excited to see, you know, after this first year, what the next years provide and, and keeping in touch with the kids. So excited for you. Like, I look forward to seeing how this grows. You know, you're all the way on the West Coast doing some pretty badass stuff. How could somebody in the middle of the country or on the East Coast kind of mimic what you guys are doing? What's a first step that you would encourage somebody to take to create something similar to Project Pipeline? Yeah, you know, I think I would really want to get them connected with the local chapter of NOMA. There are our chapters across the United States, both regional chapters and state or city chapters. So nomama.net is a great place to go and see what local chapters have available. If a local chapter is not doing Project Pipeline, like start the program. It's prescripted. There's already curriculum made. So truly it's taking that national curriculum and then catering it to the local environment. And don't be disappointed on the first year, if you got 10 students, that's a success. And mm -hmm. link up with the middle school guidance counselors and principals, see what programs are already available and how do you just tweak them and or create them and then just keep it going. Awesome. Thank you for that advice. So we're going to kind of switch gears here to our rapid fire questioning. You ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll start off with coffee or tea? Coffee. Black Pepsi. coffee. <laughs> Pepsi, Coke, or cheer wine? I'm going to go Diet Coke. Steel toe or <laughs> composite toe boots? This one made me think, but I have composite hiking boots. Okay. What brand? Um, I had to look it up. Forsake. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> what are you currently reading or listening? I just finished the book Speak by Tunde. She's the Peloton inspirational athlete and speaker. And I am now reading or listening to The Midnight Library. What do you think of that book that's on my wish list? I'm liking it a lot. It's different for me. Normally I'm only listening to like self-help development. And mm -hmm. so it's a good change and I, I, I'm enjoying it so far. How can our listeners connect with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'll just share what I'm up to during everyday life on Instagram. You want me to share my Instagram handle? Sure. Okay. It's at swanky 
Jackie Chang. And just, I guess, a little context there. My husband's last name is Swank. And so that's our kind of team name is Swanky Chang. Oh, I like it. That's cute. So where can they go to learn more about Project Pipeline? Yeah, so Noma.net to find out about Project Pipeline and the local chapters that have it offered. And then also if you're in the Pacific Northwest or West Coast, you can find us at nomapdx.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to chime in on the conversation, you can find us online at spacetobuild.co. Yes, it's .co. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Space to Build. When you have a moment, do you mind leaving a review for this podcast? I read your reviews at the end of the show and I'm constantly looking for improvements. Any ideas to improve your experience will be welcomed. Remember, you belong here. There's so much space for you in our industry. Well, until next time.